while your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. He's Chris. And we're joined now by Congressman from the 4th Congressional District, Jake Auchincloss. Hey, Congressman, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. So um, are you back in D.C. or are you, did you stay in the 4th Congressional District after President Biden made his remarks? Back up here in Washington. We have votes again tomorrow. So we're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss. President Biden just visited the 4th Congressional District, which he represents in Congress. What, so President Biden could have gone a lot of places. He could have gone over here in New Bedford. He could have gone to Gloucester. He could have gone uh, uh, somewhere in Rhode Island. Why did he choose uh, Brayton Point in Somerset, Massachusetts, uh, to be the staging area for his big, big speech on climate? You're right that the future of clean energy is being built in many places by many people. But Massachusetts leads the way. And Brayton Point is a prime exemplar of how and why clean energy is our future. It's a future in which we are going to leave the planet better than we found it for our kids and our grandkids. So they're not faced with the kind of trade-offs we're faced with today. They're not faced with the kinds of uh, reports and data that we're seeing today about the health of our planet. And number two, it's a future in which we're creating good jobs, jobs in offshore wind construction and maintenance, jobs in laying cable, jobs for electrical workers in nuclear, jobs in solar panel installation. Uh, there are already more clean energy jobs in Massachusetts than there are mining jobs throughout the entire United States. Clean energy is the fastest growing job sector in America. This is a crisis, yes, but it's also a huge opportunity. We're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss of the 4th Congressional District. So when President, what, what are your general, I mean, you wrote in on Air Force One today uh, with your colleagues uh, in Congress uh, and with the president. I saw the picture of you and the president speaking on Air Force One uh, at his conference table. What is your general, I don't know, thoughts on riding on Air Force One, speaking with the president? And what, were, what, are you, what is your reaction to his speech um, at Brayton Point today? It's always an honor to spend time with the president and you know it was fun to be on air force one it's it's not yeah. not an experience i expect i'll uh i may ever get again but it was certainly fun and uh he and i and congressman keating and senators warren and markey discussed both the urgency and the opportunity of the moment and he said to us what he said to the assembled guests at somerset which is he's not taking no for an answer we are going to act with urgency on the climate crisis. We're going to cut red tape for clean energy providers. We are going to help make our cities and towns more resilient to extreme heat and other forms of extreme weather. Uh, and we're going to help create more jobs in the process. Uh, Congressman Auchincloss, um, I think I think it was very very frank, very honest, very uh, very genuine when you just said you know what a thrill it was to ride on Air Force One. If you, if you could um, explain to to your constituents and the listeners, what's the experience like when they first called you and said, "Hey, we're coming to your district." Something that's, that's incredibly rare, given particularly how how little time you've actually been you know in Congress at this point. Right, you're you're a new guy. Um, 
explain what happened, how long it took, how, how the process unfolded. I'm proud that the president chose Brayton Point. It, uh, I do think, represents that I have been an outspoken force on clean energy and climate action. But much more importantly, it represents what the people of Somerset and uh, innovators and visionaries really have seen for more than a decade. People like Jen Menard uh, at Whistler Community College, people like Representative Pat Haddad, uh, the representative for Somerset, they saw this more than a decade ago what this could be and it's their vision and their work that really crystallized Brayton Point as a prime backdrop for the President of the United States to declare that he is committed to a clean energy future. In terms of the actual experience, uh, the White House calls you, they say, we're doing this, <laughs> be it joint, uh, <laughs> be it, uh, uh, joint Air Base Andrews uh, at this time and we got to uh, uh, stopped at the White House first and then went to Air Base Andrews, went on Air Force One. It turns out, I didn't know this, I'll admit, they actually have multiple airplanes, and there's the really big one, that 747, the iconic uh, large airplane. We were on the smaller airplane because it was a shorter flight, and, I mean, that one's still pretty sweet. Right. And <laughs> <laughs> certainly better than my commuter flight back and forth on American Airlines weekly, uh, yeah. between Boston and Washington. And they got a, a, a conference table and then a, an area for seating for the press and other staff. And for a while, it was me and Senator Markey and Senator Warren and, and Bill Keating at the conference table with some of the president's staff discussing um, uh, climate legislation and, and other areas of concern in Congress right now. And then the president himself came in and, and hung out with us for about a half an hour on the airplane as we were flying down. And he talked about you know, his personal experience with environmental degradation. Growing up in Pennsylvania and, and Delaware, uh, he was saying that they would literally have to slick off their windshields, the grime from coal dust, every morning. And the impact that that has on public health, as well as, of course, its greenhouse gas impact, is significant. He's understood it his whole life. And... I think he feels in his bones that he has got a moral imperative to act on. That's what he conveyed to us. We're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss of the 4th Congressional District, where uh, President Biden visited uh, today. So, Congressman Auchincloss, you know, so far in your first term, you've had now the president. You've previously had Speaker Pelosi, second gentleman Doug Emhoff uh, in your district to see what's going on. I wrote this morning on WBSM.com, this is the first time in 26 years that a sitting president, it was President Bill Clinton in 96, a sitting president has come to the South Coast, to the region, to actually, and he actually came to the, I believe what was the 4th Congressional District at that time as well. Um, do you anticipate, given everything that's going on with offshore wind, everything that's going on in the 4th and the 9th Congressional District, frankly, uh, do you anticipate more visits to the region by people like President Biden or by, or, or by a president uh, in general? We're certainly going to take every opportunity to highlight issues of concern for the district. So I'll give you two examples. One is that we have got uh, an amendment uh, as part of the U.S. Coast Guard reauthorization bill that would be very damaging to the offshore wind industry. And I have been an outspoken and at times the lone voice opposing it uh, in the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. Uh, but we've now raised the salience of that issue and we're going to 
I'm confident we're going to fix it before this actually becomes law. And you'd better believe that when I, when I was on Air Force One that we raised that with the president's staff. I'm going to take that opportunity to make sure they understand that, yes, we want offshore wind to be successful, but that also means making sure that we don't do things that, that put us backwards, uh, like this, this damaging amendment pushed, pushed by the Gulf Coast shipbuilder industry uh, in, in the Coast Guard RIA. The second example is I was just speaking with Secretary Buttigieg at a hearing this week and uh, raised to him the issues with commuter rail throughout the district. Right. We've got commuter rail stations that are inaccessible to people living with disabilities or uh, people who are just using strollers. And we've got stations that have unreliable service or, of course, as in Fall River and Taunton and New Bedford, stations that have yet to be built and that we hope to extend and improve in future years. Uh, and I invited the secretary to come visit and see with his own eyes what great work we can do on commuter rail expansion here in Massachusetts. So I'm always going to use the office and use uh, the chance to engage with decision makers here in Washington to highlight issues of concern for the district. That's the job. I mean, I, I'm working for people in Massachusetts, and that is what I'm focused on. So, um, Congressman Ockenclaus, in addition to uh, the, the, you know the, your your work on um, renewable energy, you are you do sit on the Financial Services Committee, and of course, the financial services industry is very important to Massachusetts. You recently had a, a part of a bill put forward that you put forward to try to get more diversity in banks, to try to get more small banks. Out so that people in communities can get more bank services. I was really interested in some reading some of your material on that. The amount, the and it, it made sense to me. But the consolidation of the banking industry has has eliminated a lot of small branches in in neighborhoods throughout throughout your district and throughout the Massachusetts. Talk a little bit more about what you're working for in the Financial Services Committee on banking. What it comes down to is competition and relationships. What small banks do really well, community-based smaller banks, is they compete. They compete with one another, and they compete with the big banks. And a lot of times what they compete on is relationships. I, I know this small business owner. I know this homeowner. I understand their finances. I understand who they are. I want to support the community in which I'm situated, whether it's their little league teams or their municipal projects. And... We've lost a lot of that in the last 25 years. Don't quote me on this number, but I think it's something like 10,000 banks, small banks, have disappeared in the last 25 years. And uh, these are small businesses in their own right. I want those relationships and I want those, that competition back into our financial services ecosystem because at the end of the day, what that means is that my constituents, the consumers of financial services, get better service. They get better banking. We're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss of the 4th Congressional District. You also voted against the National Defense Authorization Act, and you are a veteran uh, yourself. Uh, I believe you voted against it uh, last year as well. What was your reasoning behind that? So I was a Marine Corps officer, as you said, served in Afghanistan, served in Panama. Joining the Marine Corps was one of the best decisions I ever made. I, I, love, I love the U.S. military, and I also believe in a strong and assertive U.S. military. We have got to uphold the post-war international order. We've got to stamp out humanitarian crises wherever they exist. We've got to project U.S. interests in unstable regions. Uh, but I've got two core problems with the defense budget. The first is the top-line number is just egregiously high. The Pentagon is the world's biggest bureaucracy. It consumes roughly $850 billion a year. And I have never met a big bureaucracy that could not do 10% more with 10% less. 
But I've never met a big bureaucracy that's willing to admit that without being right. forced. Yeah. And that's Congress's job. Congress has to force the world's biggest bureaucracy to say, listen, we support your mission. We're going to give you a 10% haircut. Come back and tell us how you're going to do 10% more. That's your challenge. And necessity is the mother of innovation. And they will come back to us. And some of the finest Americans we have uh, serving in the United States military will come back to us. And they will be able to keep Americans safe and defend American interests. Uh, in in new and innovative ways, but they have to be compelled to do it. Number two is this crewing amendment. I, I recently alluded to this, that would damage the offshore wind industry. This amendment has been tacked on to the defense budget, and there's a lot of zigs and zags about why that happened. But the point is, there is an amendment on the defense budget that would be bad for the offshore wind industry, and I simply do not vote against my district. End of story. If it is going to be bad for the offshore wind industry, that's going to prevent Massachusetts from getting a new clean energy source and creating jobs in Somerset and Taunton and Fall River and Attleboro, I'm just not going to vote for it. And I've been very clear about that with committee staff, with the committee leadership, with the Senate, and we're going to get that amendment removed uh, in the final version, I'm confident. Jake, um, one, you know, in line with the defense bill, bill uh, authorization bill that you're, you're discussing, you are a Marine Corps officer, but also you have American foreign policy in your DNA. You come from the Bundy family. Um, Jake, how do you feel our efforts in Yugoslavia are going forward right now? You're talking about Ukraine? I'm sorry, Ukraine. The Ukraine. <laughs> I was yeah. like, what are you sorry. talking about? Right, right. The Ukraine, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, you, what, did you think you missed a briefing when I said that? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. So I recently, I recently penned an op-ed with Liz Cheney, a conservative Republican, that laid forth our argument for why it needs to be the bipartisan, consistent policy of the United States Congress and of the United States generally that our objective in Ukraine is absolute victory for the Ukrainian people. There is a moral dimension to that. It is unacceptable. Indeed, it's sickening to see what the Russians are doing to women and children in Ukraine. They're bombing hospitals. Uh, they are committing war crimes. There is a credibility element to that. The United States is the guarantor of the post-World War II international order, an order that has allowed peace and prosperity to spread throughout the world, unevenly and imperfectly. But we have made progress in the last 70 years, and this is a direct attack, a direct attack against that post-war order. And the ability to unify NATO and NATO's East Asian and Southeast Asian allies against uh, that aggression has been a critical stabilizer for uh, for maintaining the global order. Uh, so I feel very strongly that we need to win. And overall, uh, I think the president has handled the situation quite well. He has kept a diverse coalition together, not just NATO, but also uh, Australia and big chunks of East and Southeast Asia. And he has rallied Congress to provide Ukraine with unprecedented military aid. Most recently, and, and we, we've sent several tranches of it, but most recently what we've seen is that the HIMARS, which are precision-guided munitions that we have sent to Ukraine, are having devastating impact on Russian logistics, supply, and command and control nodes in both eastern and, I suspect, soon southern Ukraine as well. Uh, and so the tide of war is shifting again, I think, back to Ukraine. We are likely to see that this goes on for quite a, lot, a bit longer. Uh, a lot of experts project that it's going to freeze a little bit this winter as it gets harder to engage in the cold weather. 
And in 2023, something very important is going to happen. The European Union's oil embargo and marine shipping sanctions are going to go into effect. And Russia, to a greater extent than at any time since the immediate sanctions that went into place after its invasion, is going to face some very significant economic pressure on its main source of hard currency, which is its oil exports. And we need to tighten the screws and maintain international cohesion to really siphon off and strangle the Russian war machine at its source, which is oil. We're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss of the 4th Congressional District. Congressman, before I let you go, I have one question. Um, you know, it's a midterm. It's a midterm year. Obviously, the Democrats are looking to defend and expand their majority in both chambers uh, of Congress. You've recently made an endorsement of Seth Magaziner for the Rhode Island, I believe, 2nd Congressional District. And he's got a formidable challenger against Alan Fung. Um, why did you feel as, as though it was necessary to make an endorsement in that race? And are you going to be uh, campaigning with other Democrats across the country to try to expand and maintain the majority in the, in the House and Senate? I will be, and I have. I am supporting both financially and with organizing power candidates and incumbents like Jared Golden in Maine, like Annie Custer in New Hampshire, uh, candidates in New York and Pennsylvania as well. Seth Magaziner of the Rhode Island Second is a proven public servant. And he is the best candidate that Democrats have for toss-up seat against, as you said, a well-known Republican mayor of the biggest city in that district. Right. The choice is extremely stark. I, I hear frequently that Alan Fung is a nice guy. I, I don't know Alan Fung. I'm sure he is a nice guy. His first vote is going to be for Kevin McCarthy as Speaker. Kevin McCarthy's first phone call is going to be to Donald Trump. Right. Alan Fung is going to vote to criminalize abortion. Alan Fung is going to vote to uh, against an assault weapons ban. Uh, Alan Fung is not going to vote with urgency for clean energy or for climate action. Uh, being a nice guy just doesn't cut it in Washington, D.C. You have got to represent people's values, and Seth Magaziner is a candidate to do that. Congressman Jake Auchincloss, big day in the 4th Congressional District and in the South Coast, and we expect more. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Always good to be on. Thank you. That was Congressman Jake Auchincloss, um, and we're going to take a break. We'll be taking your calls at 508-996-0500. We'll be taking your messages on the WBSM app chat. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris and Marcus here on 1420 99.5 WBSM. He is, what's your name? McCarthy. Chris McCarthy, I'm Marcus. And that was Congressman Jake Auchincloss from the 4th Congressional District. He flew in in Air Force One. I guess flew back on Air Force One as well. He's in D.C. There's votes taken this week. And actually, that makes sense. I was talking when I was setting this interview up. It's so It was, you know, serendipitous, really, you know, the way that everything worked out. But he was talking about, oh, there's votes this week. So, we'll you know, we'll get the schedule. So he's back in D.C., uh, that was a big day for the South Coast and the 4th Congressional District. I mean, probably the biggest day of his congressional, his young congressional career, oh, certainly, I would certainly the biggest day of his. Yeah. Right? And it was good to talk to him on the biggest day of his congressional career, no, no. His, his reactions to it. It was a good get. Yeah, I, th I, thought he, I thought he was um, really honest and animated. Um, I, look, I was very impressed with, with uh, Jake Auchincloss. Mm -hmm. um, it probably sent a Marxist like you into the corner when, when he, <laughs> how, how, how strong he is on American foreign policy. 
the um, of course, if you, yeah, I'm sure you know this, Marcus. You you know the man quite well. That his uh, his relatives are McGeorge Bundy, yes, right? Those yeah. guys, and the architects of the Vietnam War, and um, the um, who, who started out with the best of intentions. They um, in the Kennedy administration, they started out with the best of intentions. Um, that's why I had to ask him about uh, the Ukraine, because um, obviously he's very strong. You heard what he said. Yeah. The Ukraine must defeat Russia. Right. That must be America's goal. Yeah. That's, that that yeah. wasn't a mealy-mouthed position. No, it was, it was very clear. Yeah. And he even penned a letter with uh, Liz Cheney uh, to try to coalesce, um, you know, a, a base around that. Well, sure. but, but, but what he was saying, I think, what I heard was that we can't lose. Yeah. And that, he did say that. That's not just a congressman saying right. it, which is easy. That's a former infantryman saying it. Right. Right. Yeah, he's Marine a combat officer. veteran. He was in the Marine Corps. He knows what he's saying when he says it. Right. Right. He knows what he says when he says it. And he's put, he's written the check before. He's put his ass on the line. And um, that's why I respect the man. Right. Um, that's why I, I listen. When, he, when a guy like that says that, to me, it has the, the courage of his convictions. Yeah, right? absolutely. You may not, not you specifically, but some of the listeners at home who are on the left wing of the Democrat Party, they may not appreciate it, and they may be concerned about that and call it a war hawk. I don't think so. I think that you have to put forward a very strong united front. Yeah. If not, the Russians are going to take that as a sign of weakness. Right. I agree. 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program. Again, that was Congressman Jake Auchincloss. President Biden just visited uh, Somerset, Brayton Point in his district. And uh, it was cool to hear, you know, you know, you could hear the excitement, really, when we were talking to him about about that. And because it's I mean, it's a cool moment going on Air Force One. I do think we're going to see. I do think we're going to see more more president. I think not as frequent, but I think we're going to see more presidential visits. I think we're definitely going to see some campaign stops uh, in presidential primaries here, specifically in the South Coast, because of all that's going on in offshore wind. Uh, offshore wind. But I do want to talk a little bit about my column, uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about my column on WBSM.com. The last time a sitting president came to the South Coast as a sitting president was 1996, September 28th. Bill Clinton came to Kennedy Park in Fall River. They expected 5,000 people. They got 25,000 people. I was reading a little bit about it here and there, and there was some... I was there. You were there? Yeah. Oh, cool. Very cool. I was cool. a selectman in Freetown. It was 1996. I went with Charlie Young, who uh, at, at that point was, was still alive, and obviously, and he was running Crystal Springs Schools. I went with him. I went with him to help him manage his grandchildren. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. So, uh, you know, I was reading a, like a funny uh, anecdote in the paper from uh, Ed Lambert, who said he wanted to give him a Charisse and chip sandwich, but Secret Service was watching his cholesterol, so they said, right. don't give it to him because you'll eat it. Right. <laughs> well, he certainly would eat it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but he, you know, he'd, he'd went there to stump for Jim McGovern and John Kerry, right? right? And so Jim, um, Jim McGovern is the rep for the second, second congressional district. In which is basically central mass. Uh, John Kerry, of course, is a U.S. senator. He had a tough re-election bid against Bill Weld. Bill Weld was the outgoing governor, outgoing two-term governor, and he had run. He was running as the governor, but uh, for for Senate, um, he, he hadn't resigned yet. He hadn't resigned yet. He no, was the governor. He was the governor. Right. He, he was the governor. He, he was the governor. He, he resigned after losing the election to turn it over to Paul Salucci. That's right. But he wasn't outgoing. He was the governor. That's right. Because it was '96. Because it, so it wasn't a midterm year. So that's that was right. the year that Paul Walsh and 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 he, he resigned was, in January of '97. 
after he lost. Yeah, after he that lost. was the year that that, that the that the um, Century House was packed right. by Biff McLean and Paul Walsh and uh, David Nelson, the sheriff. All the Democrats forewelled. Right against John Kerry, they jammed absolutely jammed the century. And and not for nothing, it was Harry Silvey was there. It wasn't. I'm sure he was. It wasn't a. It was a. It was a fairly close election. I think Kerry got about. I want to say 52 percent of the vote, which for a Senate election in Massachusetts for a Democrat and Republican right. is is pretty significant. So if Bill Clinton doesn't come and stump for Kerry, really, who knows? At like that. And Joan Menard, I have to say this locally, yeah. Joan Menard, um, she former, was the chair, former Senate president and the chairman of the Democrat Party of Massachusetts. Yeah. She had an unbelievable ground game. Yeah. She turned on the phones, her and her people, to 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 really, really get out the vote for for, for John Kerry. It was in, in, in Marty Exafaris, yep. uh, who's passed away now. I mean, they really turned it out because they had to go against. Um, all the Democrats of Bristol County who had all yeah. lined up with Weld yep. because they all wanted Salucci to become the governor. Right. I mean, it really was an incredible election. I was around for the whole thing. And, um, and you know, so I talked about how that had such, that visit had, I think, historically significant consequences considering where John Kerry went in his career, right? He ended up being the presidential candidate in 2004. Right. That wasn't too good. But he ended up being the Secretary of State under Obama. They did the Iran nuclear deal, right? Uh, he's now the climate czar for Biden. He was there today as as one of Biden's top climate officials. So Jim McGovern is still in the um, in the in the House, and he's the chair of the House Rules Committee. So I thought about that as President Biden's flying over with congressional leaders, Senator Warren, Senator Markey, Congressman Keating, but going to Jake Auchincloss's district, right? And Jake Auchincloss is someone who's had. Doug Emhoff, Nancy Pelosi, now the president in his first term in the district, you wonder if that's a harbinger of his leadership in the Democratic Party. And then there's Bill Weld. <laughs> Bill Weld. <laughs> Believe me, not only was it the high point of John Kerry, or the, or, or the re, I should say this, it was the rebirth of John Kerry. Yes. Uh, it really was. The rebirth of John Kerry, but but it also was the, uh, the, the ultimate destruction of Bill Weld. He never yeah. turned it around. After that, he began to become the he he became the libertarian. He was in he was actually nominated to be ambassador to um, to Mexico by he, by he, Bill Clinton. He ran a he ran with the guy who sold wrenches for president uh, on the libertarian ticket, right? Well, but but he also was nominated to be ambassador to Mexico by Bill Clinton. That's right, and he got his he got his nomination canned by Jesse Helms. Yes, that's right. Believe me, it was the Bill Weld was Jesse was, Helms had a personal grudge against him. Was it was an marijuana issue. Okay. Bill Weld had Bill Weld had resigned and gone after um um Ed Meese. Bill That's Weld, what it was. Yeah. No, yes. no. Right. Yeah, I, I was I was right there. I know no, you were there, but no, no. I'm, I'm trying to I wasn't there. <laughs> right, so I've got to right, read stuff. Right. I don't the, remember um, everything I read. So the um Bill Weld at one point was the left-wing future of the Republican Party. Yeah. There was a line, but also, he was close to Gingrich. He was close to a lot of the futurists. Gingrich came in for the Republican convention in 96, gave the speech, oh, 94, I'm sorry, gave the speech in Massachusetts. I mean, really, Bill Weld was going to be, the he was going to take abortion off the table, basically. Yeah, right. And, um, and, uh, He's taking himself off the table instead. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. 508-996-0500. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. Thanks for holding. Yes, Chris Marcus. It's Don up in Stoughton here. Hey, uh, Don. Two quick points. Yeah, hi, guys. Uh, I was on an Air Force One once upon a time. 
was an old original Eisenhower that was parked up at Fort Devens. That's cool. And uh, one of the guys in the barracks was a pilot, and he says, "Come on, Don, let's let's get on Air Force One." So I jumped on and I sat in every seat. I don't know where Eisenhower sat, but yeah, that's that's my uh, connection with Air Force One. That's pretty neat. Now you were talking about Bill Clinton. Yeah. Do you know that Bill Clinton could not lawfully hold the office of president because when he enlisted in the Army Reserves in 1969, he deserted? And but that, yet he did, huh? But yet he did. So why? Why? But why? Why would that? Why would that make him ineligible for office? Okay. No desertion. Under the, Desertion is, is a disqualifier. 10, and, and, okay. I don't know. The yeah, under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, anybody who is deserted, regardless of whether or not they've been prosecuted, they're not allowed to hold any office of public trust. Hmm. Interesting. Now, Bill, Bill Clinton enlisted in the Army Reserves with Colonel Holmes. Do you remember that yes, whole scenario? Yep, I do. Back in 91, 92? Okay. He enlisted. He signed the oath. Excuse me. He signed the contract to enlist. He swore the oath of enlistment. And he was supposed to appear at the Fayetteville, Arkansas ROTC, but he never showed up. Colonel Holmes then took and put him as AWOL, and then after 30 days, you become a deserter. Well, that November, Nixon, uh, Nixon uh, in, instituted the draft lottery, but people who had enlisted in the Army Reserves, who had... Uh, not reported for induction when they were supposed to, which Bill Clinton did three times, or if you deserted, you were not eligible for the draft lottery. Interesting. So, as it stands, Bill Clinton can still be charged today with desertion. <laughs> I'm surprised Trump didn't thought, charge him. Yeah, right, seriously. <laughs> that, that's interesting, Don. I appreciate that. Yeah, that is no, pretty cool. I, I have, under the Freedom of Information Act, I have a copy of Bill Clinton's Sheet 8, his draft classification record. I have it in my possession. You should put and, it on eBay. Yeah. Nobody believes me. <laughs> I believe you. I believe you. I put it on eBay and sell it. No, it, it's, it's just crazy. And you guys can order a copy from the Pentagon, and they'll send you one from Selective Service. But if you look at the documentation and well, you all the laws containing there, too, uh, in 1960, uh, 1969, Bill Clinton's a deserter. <laughs> Thanks, John. Hey, as always, that was, yeah, very that, that was really you. interesting. Yeah, I did, I that was so. interesting. 508-996-0500. Good evening. Thanks for holding. Yeah, you guys have been talking about Vietnam a lot. If you want to know the fact, it was actually Eisenhower that first sent scouts over to Vietnam. Actually, Not Truman. Truman was, right? Truman was the one who sent weapons oh, to Ho Chi Minh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay, okay. Not to one-up you, but <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Actually, it was FDR. Actually, it was Herbert Hoover. But go ahead, Colin. <laughs> Sorry. Herbert Hoover. That's depression time, my friend. Um, yes, it was. Um, I I know Eisenhower sent scouts over there, too. He wasn't for going. He didn't think it was a good idea we go to Vietnam. Right. I don't think Kennedy wanted to go to Vietnam, but I know Lyndon Johnson definitely wanted to go to Vietnam because he went to Vietnam after Lyndon Johnson became president. And I believe he was, obviously, he wasn't the only guy that wanted to go to Vietnam, but... Yeah, that's what the Pentagon Papers had revealed, right? It was, it was that, um, it was Kennedy and Johnson's 
involvement uh, in Vietnam, you know, prior to really everybody everybody knowing. Right. right? Yeah. yeah, but from what I hear, Kennedy didn't want to send troops in there. I, did, I, I, just, I dispute that, really. Kennedy was a hardcore guerrilla warfare anti-communist. I mean, he, he, was. he started the Green Berets to stop communism in third world countries. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean he really yeah, was he an was. anti- he was an insurgent. Uh, he, he created the special forces uh, insurgency movements ar- really around the globe that, that got us into all kinds of wars. He changed the underwater demolition into the Navy SEALs, which the, right. the original Navy SEALs underwater demolition. Right, the frog. They were, actually, yeah. they were still actually operating at the same time, but they were the SEAL team. But you see, at one point, you still had the underwater demolition team and the SEALs going at the same time, but they were all considered Navy SEALs. Right. The frogmen. But, uh, yeah. I don't know, man. And as far as Mr. Biden today, they have a relationship that that clean energy stuff sounds like Jimmy Carter stuff to me. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Carla. I mean, that Jimmy Carter, I think, was really prescient in that in that respect. Remember, he put uh, solar panels on the White House, and then Reagan yeah. took him down immediately after. The um, yeah. the, the the thing with that I thought about Biden's performance today is that. He was really strong. I thought he was really strong. Now, again, I recognize when I when I watch a Joe Biden, I don't agree with his message in a lot of things. So I, so I, I try to look through that. Right. Um, one of my own personal biases, obviously, he's not talking to Republican voters. Right. He's talking to general election voters. He's talking to the Democrat Party. I thought he did a very strong performance today. I thought that he was. Um, he was optimistic, while at the same time. You know, t- telling some pretty pretty scary stuff, right? Talking about yeah. pollution and what pollution used to be like, and and looking forward to a brighter future. You know, now whether you believe him or not, but he was casting a really good picture. I mean, I thought the guy would should be welcomed in every district in America. In America, really, I think the Democrats support. are making making a mistake by not including him. Were there Trump supporters there today? Yes, the there flag? was. I knew they'd be there. Yeah. I knew it. Yeah, but that doesn't do any good. No, it doesn't. No, it, doesn't. no. it really it doesn't. Time. It really yeah. doesn't. I, as I said, it's Coke. I told you guys last night, it's Coke or Pepsi. Take your pick. <laughs> what about yeah, RC but, uh, Cola? Yeah, I was thinking it's yeah. um, it's Pepsi well, or cyanide, but uh, I was thinking a third party, like if they could have another party, RC Cola, <laughs> they could have RC <laughs> Cola run against the other two. But uh, one more thing about that Vietnam thing, Kennedy. So right. if Kennedy had lived, he probably would have went down as a bad president because of Vietnam. Yeah. So he looked good when he got killed, but he would have looked bad it's, in the end. It's it's difficult to reconcile, but for all of his vision and style and a lot of the things you know that he supported, that I think are broadly popular with a lot of Democrats today. Uh, his 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 new frontier platform was the framework of the great society uh his death his tragic awful brutally um documented death by a marxist communist by yeah right wait you by, don't think oswald killed kennedy no wait hold on hold on, hold on. wait, no, wait no. a second we're just making news here no, you don't, don't think, think oswald so. killed kennedy no i think we should save that for wait your... who killed kennedy then oswald was a draft shooter in the marine corps he could have done it I'm not no, I'm talking Marcus. Excuse me, call it Marcus. You, you look at the Zabruder film. Yeah. How many shots do you see? Yeah, but who did it then? Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Marcus thinks the CIA. It's for the uh, it's for the uh, it's for the off air podcast. All right. So five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Download the. Hey, Marcus. 
Hey, listeners, it's Chris McCarthy here. Welcome to South Coast tonight. So again, I think we had a really nice appearance with uh, Jake Auchincloss. I thought we covered a couple of really important subjects. Guys, one of the things he talked about, I asked him about the uh, the financial legislation that he's put forward. You know, there's a, there's a... Um, there's a strategy in the Massachusetts congressional delegation. It started under Tip O'Neill and uh, with um, the older guys in the delegation who are all since passed on. That they strategically promote Tip O'Neill's dead. He is dead. <laughs> it's local, but he's dead. He was buried locally. But they would strategically promote each other. I remember, Bill Keating explained it to me and to the audience. They look. As slots become open, new guys come into Congress, they get them into strategic locations. And in some yeah. cases, it's Republicans as well. Yeah. There's no Republicans in the delegation now, but at one time there was, right? There was. It was much, actually, it's a smarter delegation if you have Republicans. They had Silvio Conti, the guys like that who were in the delegation. Mm -hmm. um, you had Hastings Keith, guys like that. That way you had something. You know, we're going to be. Those in, are real names, folks. Yeah. We're going to be in some real trouble. If the Republicans take over, and there's not a single ambassador from our side, our state, to the Republican delegation. But anyway, the um, that is where the money starts. But anyway, Jake Auchincloss put forward a bill to allow more local banks to develop. If you look around this area, there's no local banks anymore. There's none. There's absolutely none. And they are important, as he pointed out, if you're trying to start a local business. How are you going to get a loan from Bank of America for right. two, three, four hundred grand, right? Yeah. You've got to have local banks. They keep the mortgages locally. It's a really important thing. It's one of these things that I think often gets lost, but I, I was impressed with Auchincloss. He clearly is, is in tune with the importance of the business and the profit-making establishment here. You notice what he said, competition. Competition is a crucial, crucial element. So, yeah, you're talking about, too, uh, the leadership, you know, um, Massachusetts congressional delegation, them propping up their younger people to leadership. And you see it, you know, you see Keating on foreign affairs travel, tra traveling, uh, you know, traveling to the EU with Nancy Pelosi to talk with uh, to talk with Zelensky. Right. During the um, when that conflict first erupted, you see you see um, uh, what's. Uh, Catherine Clark as the assistant uh, speaker of the House, right? Basically, Nancy Pelosi's right hand. You see Richard Neal as the guy who writes the budget, essentially, in the House as the chairman of Ways and Means, right? You see... You um, see McGovern Ma as the chairman of rules. You see the... Nothing moves in the House. Audience. Right. Say, say so. Exactly. The chairman of rules. So you're seeing a lot of... You're, you're seeing that that when... You know, when they're able to, when basically when Mass when the Democrats have the majority, the Massachusetts congressional delegation is running the table in the House. And that happened prior to you have Barney Frank, right, who was chairman of financial services, who wrote the Dodd-Frank legislation. So you have a lot of I, there's a lot of power and influence that comes with being a congressperson from Massachusetts specifically. And also um, when they're not in the majority. They still have a tremendous amount of say. They're still the ranking members. Exactly. Yeah, they're still exactly. rank, they're still ranking members, and that's not nothing. And what they're doing when they're not in the majority is they're building up seniority, right? Exactly. So that you can be in the minority party, but you're building up seniority within your own party for the day that ultimately it switches back, right? Yeah. We're going to see in all likelihood that the Republicans take control of the House uh, going forward. It's, it's likely what's going to happen. Might not, but it's likely what's going to happen. Yeah, I would so you'll argue have, it's a you'll have the Democrats. On the out, but they're not completely on the out. Right. But you'll have them building building seniority for future Congresses. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back.
Hey, everybody, it's the Fifth Coast Tonight, Chris and Marcus. So I never actually got to see a president live. I did see Cabinet Secretary uh, back in 20... So you didn't go down there today? No. I thought you were there. Oh, okay. You thought I was there? I did think you were there. Oh, no, it was too hot, and you had to wait in the tarmac at DF Green for two hours in the okay. sun. I'm no, sorry. I understand. Yeah, I, I, no, I just, I, I'm busy. I know I, why I wasn't there, but yeah, I know Yeah, no, I'm, I'm busy. I didn't, I, I just couldn't do it. So, uh, kudos to everybody else who so did. So, like now I feel stupid. I was watching Channel 12 looking for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, but I did get to see a cabinet secretary when Attorney General Eric Holder came to UMass Law in 2014. That was a big deal. Uh, the dean at the time, Mary Lou Billick, her husband was a law partner with Eric Holder prior to him becoming the attorney general. And he came, he gave a really good speech. At the time, Sandy Hook just happened, so he was talking about that. He was talking about a lot of goings on. Oh, the gutting of the Voting Rights Act and uh, that, that, um, that eventually went to the Supreme Court and ratified basically by the Supreme Court, the gutting of the Voting Rights Act. A lot of things that were talk topical back then. I will say the Secret Service was there and I'd reached into my pocket to get a plug to plug in my iPad so I could film the speech. Okay. And there was a Secret Service guy staring at me intently while I reached uh -huh. into my breast pocket of my right. of my suit, which right. I understood. But yeah, that was that was the only I guess that's the highest level government official that I've seen in person, if you consider that to be, you know, higher than like the governor of Massachusetts, right? Because I've always met Charlie Baker a few times. But, uh, yeah. The highest one I've ever seen was Al Gore at the White House. Yeah. I, I happened to be, I, I got a, a, a private tour when it was uh, Clinton Gore of the White House from a Secret Service agent that we knew. Mm -hmm. And I was coming out the back entrance of the White House. And um, unbeknownst to me, Al Gore was pulling up. So all of a sudden, right in front of me was Al Gore. And I went, well, yeah. God, it's Al Gore. You know, it's kind of kind of a, one of those funny things. Because again, we're going on the tour of it. You, but we were just leaving. And, yeah. uh, and there he was. And he's a pretty tall guy, actually. Imagine if the Electoral College didn't exist, you could have said that you met a president. But alas, 